The Church Sound Podcast is brought to you by Invisible Media Training. If you want to empower your tech staff, we have courses that teach churches the technical tools for ministry. Hit them at InvisibleMediaTraining.com. It's time to empower and grow. Welcome to the Church Sound Podcast. Part of the Repurpose Network. Where kingdom culture, real life, and technology intersect. I'm your host, Prentice Thompson. And what we do, we talk to real people, pastors, leaders, engineers, tech people, manufacturers, worship leaders, all about church, technology, and provide solutions for a successful Sunday morning service. You ready? It's time to take a ride. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Welcome to another edition of the Church Sound Podcast. I'm your humble host, Mr. Prentice Thompson. You know, it's 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 been a wonderful day after the hurricane. Those of you who um, live in the southern part of, uh, of, of America, we want to send our prayers out, especially to Florida, um, with everything that happened down there. Um, it was complete. I was watching the news with my wife. It's completely devastating. And I have family down there. Actually, my older brother lives us lives right next to um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, stadium right there. And I was talking to him. His power was out. So, and we, we had some issues here in South Carolina, but you know, nothing like that. So our prayers go out to them. Um, but aside from that, we have a great, great, great show. I'm pretty sure you're in your church. Um, you have a wireless system somewhere. It's either a, body pack or headset, lavalier, handheld, something along those lines. I have a guy here, not only is he a front of house engineer, not only is he an author, not only is he an engineer, not only has this guy done workshops all over the place, not only has this guy done seminars and he's mixed for festivals, he's mixed for churches, he's mixed for everything and everybody. And um, it's really been a blessing to get him on because I really want to have somebody that kind of understood RF that we can walk our listeners through some basic things that will help you kind of better understand what's going on in the wildest world. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome to the church sound podcast. Kent Margraves. How are you, sir? All right, man. Prince, how are you? I'm do I, I hope I did all right with the introduction, you know. I, oh, I hope yeah. I did all right, yeah, yeah. you know. And that was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> I'll try to live up. Try to live. You're just saying I'm old. I've been doing this a while. <laughs> you know what that means? That means it's it's called wisdom, sir. Oh, well, there you know, it's interesting at this stage actually. Uh we were talking about this yesterday with a friend um I've seen most of what goes on in church sound now, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes it's easy with the younger guys when we see things come up to just kind of look at the big picture and coach a little bit and say, right. man, it's, it's all right. Let's, we've seen this before. Right. What do you think, right. What do you think about taking it this way? Right. Kind of like a, a veteran quarterback. You imagine right. we see lightning on the field and they see things in slow motion. Slow motion. That's right. They've done it 50,000 times. They've done it a, a so. million times. That's right. Mm -hmm. So how did you get started, you know, this front of house period mixing? Yeah. So um, I grew up in the 70s, went to high school in the early 80s and came from a family of 
musicians, church musicians mostly, uh, grew up playing keyboards and bass and even played trumpet in the school band and all that. <laughs> in high school, I got really into music theory. So I actually had a mentor and a tutor, and I learned music theory in high school. Wow. Decided to go to college to study music. And right off the bat, I actually clipped the first year, the freshman year of theory, because I had already done it, which I thought was great. But uh, by my sophomore year, I was blowing through music pretty easy in school and college. And I thought, man, I'm not sure career-wise how this is going to play out. And I became more interested in audio um, as, as I was in college. So I kind of migrated to the other end of the snake, even while I was finishing the music degree. Right. And uh, there were not a lot of formal audio programs for live sound in 1985, 87, long in there. So I decided to stick with the music track and self-study audio. So we didn't have the internet. Uh, there were a few <laughs> books that kind of changed it for me. One was called The Recording Studio Handbook. Oh, remember that. And one. it was by John Warham. And I'm telling you, it broke down everything for me in audio for years and years. That's the book I, I went back to. Anyway, I self-studied. Um, when I got out of school, the church that I grew up at, which was now a major huge mega church with national TV program. They said, we're going to hire you. This was like 1990. And I said, to do what? <laughs> this wasn't real common to have full-time technical people in churches. Right. right. And they said, well, we'll figure it out. So they put me on as audio director, I think was the title, but basically that's, that began about five years of being in the hot seat at a fast moving, extremely large church that was sort of acquiring. Well, was, choir and orchestra with band, but migrating into a new genre right? as they do in building, going from farmed out television production to building all the video and audio stuff in in-house. So I ended up uh, spending a few years, I was mixing front of house, but during the week I was doing the post-production and that wasn't just mixing tracks. That was actually um, re-recording a lot of the orchestral parts Okay, with, uh, you know, to be nice, um, in an orchestra, in a church like that, you get a wide range of experience and, and skill level. And sometimes the um, orchestration, well, the performance is great. Sometimes parts aren't great. So we were using synthesizers and samplers and all kinds of stuff back then to, to, uh, oh, to replay the parts, parts, replay parts. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, so yeah. What, I got console, what console scores. were you guys using at the, on that time? That's a great question, man. So this was a big analog desk called roll with me here, Prentice. My, my brain. Has to be deep. <laughs> this was a Otari elite plus a concept elite plus this is a very expensive, large format analog. Wow. Desk How many inputs? Made. So it had 96 inputs. Woo! Um, How many buses did you was, have? Like 24? So, it was an inline recording desk, you know, so 48 over 48 input wise. The center section had, yeah, it had 24 buses, but we also needed to do more outputs than that because we were trying to capture a massive, capture in multi-track, a massive choir, orchestra, vocalist, right. and all that. 
So we did some tricks with the onboard patch bay and the desk and some direct outs. And we ended up strapping uh, 24 tape tracks synced to <laughs> one of the very first Pro Tools versions out there. In like two-inch like tape? Yeah, it was an Otari. Otari two-inch. Man, this is throwing back, man. An MX-80, two-inch, 24. Woo! Big wow. boy tape, man. I learned a lot on that. And then uh, you're running 30 ips or 15 ips. Well, we were running 30 until the uh, budget kind of <laughs> we were flying through tape, flying man. through we tape, doing, right? We we're doing lots <laughs> of services. Um, and then we had man, I can't remember the name of the very first sync device that DigiDesign made before it was Avid. We we used that and we synced up one of the very first per- versions of Pro Tools in the early mid nineties. Um, and it worked about half the time, you know, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd roll and hope it synced up in time to get through a mix. So you're doing anyway, Simpty, you're simp- a Simpty box. Yeah. We're using Simpty longitudinal time code oh, because wow, we also had to lay time. back to video, <laughs> right? We were laying back to videotape. So that was the, the format, man, this goes way back. Anyway, uh, I did that, uh, as well as mix for a variety of worship artists, throughout the nineties did a little bit of touring in there, lots of concerts, lots of conferences and festivals, things like that. And then in the early two thousands, I made a switch from full-time church staff work and freelancing to working for manufacturers. So I went to Sennheiser at that time and they basically said, look, you don't have a clue how to do a business job, but we need audio help in the field. So we'll teach you, how to do this job if you can bring some audio knowledge because Sennheiser in the U.S. at the time were microphone sales guys. Right. And uh, they wanted more knowledge of how to relate to these customers about how does your console work? Why are you using this PA? Mm-hmm. You know, why do you put a microphone over here? You know, that kind of thing. So right. that began um, uh, 12 years or so. I think I was at Sennheiser and also got very deep into RF in that time, wireless applications. I've since also worked for uh, DigiDesign for a few years, helped launch the venue series. Oh, yeah. Of consoles. I was we were probably at the same there. conferences together because I would be at NAM all the time. Oh, very likely. Yeah, I mean, we definitely were because at the time I was working for I was working for Event Electronics at that time. I was like, oh, wow. I was their, um, their, their well, Northeastern rep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, in 2006, you know, we um, we came out with D-Show, right, at the end of 05. And D-Show, you know, was the original large, bigger surface of the Profile series uh, or or the venue series. And then when uh, Profile came out, it was the same stuff, just a little bit smaller Smaller, surface, right, without the sidecar and all that. And it was brilliant. It was popular. But it confused people because people would look at those side by side and they'd say, yeah, those are cool, but I, I think I'd rather, I'm just going to go for the D show. I want the bigger surface and more faders. It was the same number of faders. They both had 24 <laughs> oh, faders. Wow. One was just twice as big. Wow. Yeah. I think I was at that. I think I was at that launch as I think, Oh, yeah. I want to say the black IPs was performing. I want to say, Oh, and I think they used the venue. Wow. I, I, I may have been there. <laughs> I mean, there were so many of those in those days because that, that console, you know, DigiDesign made it and DigiDesign was a recording company. 
right. these Pro Tools. Right. Three or 400 employees. There were four of us. That was it. Are you Everybody serious? Else, there were four guys. Four in a, in a that, would, that would work in the venue? As a- and we didn't have sales reps. We didn't have applications <sighs> oh engineers. Gosh, we literally had four of us just went into the field and we did it all. And if fortunately, that product, if we just got it in front of people and knew our stuff, that product sold itself. You know, nobody had ever seen a, a console where you could natively run studio plugins. Right. That was totally you know, that, is That sold itself. It right. took off. Uh, yeah. You know, um, and then, of course, Avid uh, acquired DigiDesign in later years and still has that going with the whole new, with the S6L series. And you mm-hmm. had Robert on the other day. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think, yeah, you know, Robert and I were on that original team together. Really? So, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, um, I also uh, worked for Waves, uh, the plugging, the processing guys. And these days, uh, I work two jobs. I am full-time with Meyer Sound, the loudspeaker company that's great, what great i stuff. do great great and stuff. yeah i mean i have been using this stuff forever so um, <laughs> it was an easy decision to come on in a role that makes sense uh, a couple of years ago now um, but now uh i also work in a contract role in my home church here in charlotte which is the elevation church okay and uh i just just hit the 13 year mark wow so this is not just a gig. This is the family, the the home church, right? My kids are raised in this church and we're all in. But uh, I have been mixing front of house that entire time. But about four years ago, I moved into a role because of our breadth. We have so many campuses and we're so spread out. Right. We have a big roster, a growing roster. Uh, I'm in a role now where I'm uh, with one other guy doing onboarding of new engineers and also training and development and coaching of our existing sound engineers. So it's a lot. Wow. It's a bunch. Wow. Wow. I love it. Wow. That says a lot to, to just your journey, not just as a um, technician, not just as an engineer, but Mm -hmm. I've also, also, also found that usually, usually I could be wrong. Usually the best (laughs) engineers I found are, are musicians. Well, you know, that conversation comes up all the time, especially in my church when we have about 30, 34 right now, sound engineers at all different skill levels. And we're trying to train them to all mix to a specific sound brand. Got you. And we talk about the listening skills all the time. And, you know, there are some that are non-musical that can get that down, but the ones that come with the musical background, they don't it doesn't matter to me if they have the technical skill to get around the console because they have the listening skills. And then it's just a matter of showing them where the knob is. Right. right? After that, it's just application in, in the how and the yeah. why and why yeah. and you do this. This is why this sounds this it's way. It's the why, not the how. We, we right. teach the how, you know, like how do I adjust my attack time on my compressor to make the drum sound right or whatever. But it's useless, I think, without the why. Like, why did you even want a compressor? What did your ear tell you? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, listening so, skills, man. Listening. So, what is the first thing that you really go through when when you when you when you you get a new engineer about listening? Like, what's the conversation? Well, so we have a process, a seven step process, I think, um, for onboarding where we don't start with audio. We start with 
interviewing, you know, we figure out who people are. A lot of times they're already part of our church mm-hmm. and they're just not in audio. So that's easier. Um, and then we, we assess. So we do a talk through, what do you know about audio? What's your interest? Um, at that point, we choose to do a shadow and a shadow is where we start taking this stuff apart. So in a shadow, I still mix front of house. The candidate stands right there with me. They don't touch anything, but we talk the whole time, all the way from turn on at six o'clock in the morning to turn off in the afternoon. Why did we do that? Because we're also doing ears from front of house. It's Oh, uh, oh you're doing ears from front of house. Yeah. So you don't have, campuses. so you don't have. Oh, we have one campus where we broadcast from that does have a monitor desk, but we've got over 20 campuses where ears are done from front of house. And all right. so, so we just kind of overwhelm somebody sometimes <laughs> at the shadow because they go, Whoa, I thought I was just blending a band, but actually you've got audio coming and going from different campuses right. on this desk. You're rolling videos. What's the average You're, amount of ears you, that you normally run? Uh, 10 or 11 ears packs at each campus. That is a it's, lot. Five instruments and four to six vocalists. Sometimes that is, maybe uh, that's a lot. Like, what desk are you guys using? Like throughout on your campuses. So, uh, Digico SD nine at almost every campus. Okay. Um, we do have the big brother of that. Uh, well, we have SD ten and uh, five or something at our broadcast campus because we need larger consoles, and then we still have a couple. Two or three of our portable campuses are on Behringer X32. Okay. And that's because they throw them off a truck at five o'clock in the morning and they work. And they're easy to get people trained up on. Mm-hmm. As those campuses grow, they typically need more inputs. Correct. So the central staff team chooses when to upgrade them to the uh, to the digital to the bigger console. Yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. That's mm-hmm. that's 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 really cool. So let's let's talk about RF. And so just to mm-hmm. just to um talk about just what what is what do you how would you define spectrum planning? Like how would you define it? Mm. Well, spectrum planning, the good news is there's no black magic, there's no gray area. The science is the science. Physics hasn't changed. God's laws of physics are still there. Um, the government has very meticulously laid out how the spectrum works and who has access to what parts of the spectrum. So if someone wants to use a wireless audio device, and in this case, I guess we're talking about wireless microphones, wireless in-ears, or even wireless intercom professional stages right um all you have to do is ask somebody that knows or check with the manufacturer if you know your address or your zip code where you want to use such device the data is all over the internet of which piece of the spectrum is usable and which pieces are not usable uh, at any location in the u.s so the fcc manages that um, so spectrum planning should always be done prior to purchasing or booking a rental, because if we order or rent a rack of wireless in a specific frequency range, and that range is already heavily licensed to TV channels, we just made it way harder to coordinate. Yes. 
for the same money, for the same number of channels, whether it's a rental or a, a purchase, if we know to say, no, I don't want the frequency range X because I live in, I don't know, Atlanta or wherever it is, I know that I'm here. I want this range, same product, same everything, same features, but it just operates in that piece of the spectrum that works better for a location. So it's very location dependent. Mm-hmm. And I guess for most of uh, your audience, the people listening here, fixed install is the focus, right? So we don't have to worry as much about tours. Imagine doing this every night for a tour because that's what RF guys do on the road now. Yeah. They have to do spectrum planning and frequency coordination for every city they go to. You know what I think is that the misnomer is is kind of what you explained with the different banks of frequency. So if you mm-hmm. if you're a church and you're looking to purchase some wireless systems and like I, like you said, you can go right online and just type in spectrum analyzer, any manufacturer, mm-hmm. they'll have a grid. You type mm-hmm. in your you type in your zip code, and then you'll get a plethora of different frequency ranges that work within your area, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I this is what I would get, and I I worked at B and H as their pro audio trainer. I knew that, yeah, yeah. And um, I would teach my guys how to sell wireless systems, especially to people that didn't understand frequency. And uh-huh. so you would get people that was, that would say, okay, so um, in this manufacturer and group A, and, you know, and my guys would do exactly what I told, what I, what we discussed, go online, get your zip code, find out where you're at. These are the frequencies you need to get. And the, the misnomer would be, or the, or the confusion would be from the, from the end user is, okay, so if we have group A, then we should get group B because that's not going to be the same as group A. Mm. And you would sp- explain to them, okay, so group A is like 470 to 558. And mm. group B will be, you know, 558 to 602 or whatever, right? And you say, but in your area, this is not what you want. You want group yeah. A. And we would yeah. have arguments <laughs> with churches like, no, oh, so no. you should have A, <laughs> B, C, and D. So they're all different. It's like, no, 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 no. You want so that, everything in the mm. same group to select from the available frequencies. No, 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 no. So no, yeah. forget it. This get us group A and group B. You so, know, there's some, you're, you're, you're spot on. There's also some nomenclature there that confuses people because the term bank right. at Sennheiser, a bank of channels is also called a group of channels at uh, Sure. Sure. Correct. And, uh, you know, uh, one manufacturer uses the term block but yeah, uh, that will be electrosonics. <laughs> that's right. And that's great gear. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good gear. Love that stuff. Um, you know, so channels can be thought of as individual frequencies. You know, my pastor is on this frequency or it's channel one or channel five or whatever it's called. But we should also remember too, that uh, frequency coordination in a system means that if we're using two or more wireless together, we have to put them on not only open and available frequencies, but frequencies that play well together. Because if they don't, if they're not mathematically compatible, we get intermodulation interference. And that gets complicated and hard to understand for some people. But the good news is the manufacturers, every one of them I've ever seen, 
has already done that math and figured out what channels are compatible. So if you have, let's just go with, uh, sure, there's a, there's a frequency range. I think they call it G50. There's nothing special about the G and the 50. That's just Shure's nomenclature, right? Correct. And it's like 470 to 500 and something megahertz, Correct. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So within that range, we bought that range. Now we have all these groups available in that device. If we pick a group and they, uh, in the manual and online, they help you, or even the auto scan feature helps us pick which group is most useful. If we put every device we just installed in our church on the same group, but on a different channel, we've eliminated intermodulation interference. The hardest part has been taken away because if we put everything in the same group, we know that the channels within that group are all compatible. Correct. It's very common to walk into troubleshoot an RF system and see a rack and immediately see multiple groups selected. That's a red flag that either someone didn't understand that Mm -hmm. or someone is an expert and really had to do some custom tuning for some weird reason, which is unlikely. Correct. So you just know, use all the same group and all the same bank. Right. So it, it's, you know, a lot of times I would have to break it down to just mm. television to, to kind of get, oh. to, to try to get them to, to visualize it. You know mm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. I would, I would say, yeah, okay, so is your TV in the living room? Like, yes. Okay. So if you tune to the channel two, you see channel two, right? Right. Do you move your TV to go to channel four? No. What about channel five? What about channel seven? What about channel nine? No. I said, that's how it works. This is all the same frequency, but you're selecting channels. And when I would break it down that way, where it would be, Mm -hmm. they could digest it. They could digest the information. that's, That's really good, man. And say, oh, so you're saying. Yeah. I just have to have it on different channels, but in the same right, in the same, mm-hmm. let's, say, let's say the same zip code. Okay, in your zip code, up the street, you have a Dunkin' Donuts, you have a Starbucks. They're all in the same area, right? Same thing. This this microphone is Starbucks. This microphone That's is good, Dunkin' man. Donuts. This microphone is the bodega around the corner. They're all in the same area. Mm-hmm. But you yeah, have access yeah. to them. Because of where you're standing. great. I love it. So, you know, the FCC well understands that. And if you look at any city, any market in America, if there's a TV station that's on channel 36, there's not another one. There's only one channel 36. The same idea on a bigger geography. Right. So if there is an active TV channel 36 in my city, which is Charlotte, there is. And I go to say Raleigh and there is not an active TV channel 36. I know that a frequency for a wireless mic that is inside channel 36 won't work well in Charlotte and will be easy to use in Raleigh. We call that a white space. So the areas of the spectrum that are not used at any location, the FCC refers to as white space. Mm. So we want to run our gear in white spaces because we are unlicensed devices 
you know, these TV stations have a half a million or a million watts of power. Correct. And they pay for a license. So if we try to operate on the same frequencies, they win, we lose lose. (laughs) every time. (laughs) Every time. You know, we get away with it a little bit in buildings like, say, church auditorium where there's a lot of concrete and steel. The TV signal that's arriving at the property may be diminished enough at the stage that we get away with operating on that channel. Right. But instead, it doesn't make it right. And, and a good thing to remember for anybody using wireless is this. If someone says my wireless works or says my wireless channel doesn't work, it's not an on off. There are degrees of compatibility. So if your wireless is working, you don't really know if any interference like a TV channel or some other wireless microphone in the area on the same channel, you don't know if that's three or five dB away from causing a distraction in your church service right? or 40. So that's why it's really important to do this stuff. If we turn on a good quality wireless microphone on a TV channel, it is possible, depending on where the receiver antenna is located and where your pastor is standing center stage, those variables line up. You can sound check and say, hey, it's a good channel. No, it's not. As you move around the stage and get into your service Mm -hmm. as bodies come in the building as things change you might find out that wasn't a good channel right there are degrees it's not a black and white on and off would it help to um would it help to discuss you know i don't know where you want to go with this but but i always like to at least point out antennas placement yeah antenna placement distribution yeah amplifiers all that yeah definitely i was about i was about to ask you that oh oh okay well uh i think i mentioned to you before, I got out of the RF business over a decade ago, uh, but not really, just (laughs) full-time. So um, it's been a long time since I did RF for a living, but I still do it. And sometimes I don't like it because it's frustrating, but I've never given up on a system. Here's the encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Every RF wireless system is solvable. If you dig in, I mean, the science is well understood. This is not new stuff. These things run FM radio. I mean, that's right. Better part of a century old. Yes, sir. You know, theory. So um, when it comes to multi-channel wireless systems, like we're talking about, um, the big, the big factors are spectrum planning, which we just discussed. Frequency coordination, meaning choosing compatible system frequencies. Gain structure. That's a big one, and that involves, well, let's just talk about gain structure and antennas. So we have to pick antennas or use what comes in the box. The big deal with antennas is line of sight. So we know when there's a transmission, there's a transmitting antenna talking to a receiving antenna somewhere. Right. In the case of uh, your worship leader on stage, the antenna is in their hand if they're using a vocal mic. It's built in to that wireless microphone. And the receiving antenna may be on the receiver itself, if it's the little one that came in the box, or it may be remotely mounted. But in this case, what we're talking about is line of sight. We, we need those receivers to be able to actually see, physically see each other. And the things that will interfere with them the most are mass, like concrete and metal and then 
no offense to us, man, but we're all big bags of salt water when it comes to RF. You <laughs> know about that? <laughs> RF does not like our bodies. These are very small levels. This these unlicensed devices typically are just pushing, you know, five or ten or thirty milliwatts, just a fraction of a watt through the air. Right. Just enough to get you know 100 feet or 200 feet from a stage to receiver. So um, it's very easy to pull a receiver for a wireless microphone out of a box and set it up at front of house and plug the little antennas on the back and leave it there. One of the challenges with that is even if the sound booth is line of sight, that receiver, unless it's up high, is probably sitting inside or near a metal rack near power supplies and computers and transformers. So in a case like that, the first thing I would do is say, if we can't budget to get remotely mounted antennas, let's just get that receiver up three feet, figure out or, or get it away from the booth six feet, you know, just right. out in the open for these antennas is great. There's also a thing called diversity reception, right? Um, I'm sure you've been down this road. You've talked about it. We, we need to hit it though, right? Did you know that 177 million Americans listen to podcasts? You know, you can listen to podcasts anywhere. Most people listen to at least eight shows a week. So what does that mean for your church? Isn't the goal to reach more people with your message? You know, Tascam has been the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals worldwide. And now... They enter the new age of the podcaster, where they once again combine affordability, portability, and sound quality in one elegant package with the Tascam Mixcast 4. Isn't it great to hear the roar of the crowd behind your voice at the tips of your fingers? The ease of use and the portability of this hardware unit where you can have four microphone inputs, Bluetooth, telephone, and computer input all at the reach of your fingers. So do yourself a favor and go to your local retailer or retailer online and get yourself a Tascam Mixcast 4 because the goal is to reach more people with your message. People don't understand what true diversity is. Yeah. It, so. it makes it makes so much sense, especially if, if your diversity is you're switching, your antennas are switching to find a clear channel. Right. And, and we want them on a diversity receiver. We want to see lots of switching back and forth. Correct. So essentially what that means is a diversity or a true diversity receiver actually has two receivers inside the box and you got two chances to get a good signal. So when the two antennas are placed, they need to be, there's some theory here. Uh, let's just say you don't want them at the same place. You want them at least a few feet apart. We, we could go into the theory on wavelengths and stuff, but the, the point is if they're spaced apart, the chances of them both having a poor signal or a dropout at the same moment mm -hmm. is statistically low. So what we see on a diversity receiver, usually on the display is an A and a B or a one and a two. They've, they've defined those channels and we want to see it going back and forth saying right now, Channel A is getting me a good signal. Now B is getting a good signal. And that might be because the wireless microphone is mobile. It's running around the stage, singing or playing or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, when we talk backwards, the other direction, from offstage to onstage, that would be in-ear monitors. So now the receiver is in the little body pack. 
on the musician's side with earphones. Those are the receivers. Most, <laughs> yeah. It's much harder to build a receiver into a small body pack. The, the electronics, the design, it's just tougher and it's expensive. And it's very hard to do a true diversity body pack receiver. And there's even some design discussions about, is it really diversity when the antennas are that close together? Yeah, I can see that. And how do you do that? So there's these other flavors now with, uh, with manufacturing. There's antenna diversity and there's a couple other tricks where one manufacturer, at least one that I know of, actually uses your earphone cable as part of the antenna system. Uh, right. So you see one antenna. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have this cable plug in, depending on the type of antenna or earphone and the impedance and all that stuff. Earphone, it might be able to use those two pieces together as some pseudo diversity. So it's always harder for a receiver on a body pack moving around a stage to get a good reception. So when it, when we're doing multi-channel systems, frequency coordination and antenna placement are important, but they're absolutely most critical on in-ear monitors. Yeah. I find that, um, when you're dealing with people with in-ear monitors and they buy a cheap system that you'll see, you'll see a system where it'll be, um, one transmitter, Four four mm. receivers Mm-mm. and it'll be four fifty nine. And and they said they I used it in my church and you know my musicians are happy and it's like okay I said but they all have single channels. What does that mean? That means you that means they can't switch you can't switch them to a clean channel if you have some interruption there. It's like if you have any anything happen that's gonna throw your thing out of whack. That's fixed. Yeah. You are it has a fixed channel. Well, we can't you know, afford that. That's too much money. Uh, you know, you know, and then they go back to the pastor. Well, the man, no, no, we can't get that right there. It costs way too much money. It costs too much money. And then then they come back and go, we don't know what happened. This is not the thing for us. And it's like, you just bought, you just bought the thing twice. And so what I always well, explain know, to churches Why? is that you buy it. If, if you buy good quality stuff once. Yeah. It will help you in the long run. I would prefer you save your money. Yeah. Go buy some quality equipment instead of buying, I'm not going to name brands, but Vocal Pro, I'll say one, and a few uh, yeah. others. In, yeah, in we've the, seen that, yeah. And they'll have, you know, eight wireless systems, you know, one receiver, locks, mm. locks, and you're like, this works good for the children's play. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, man, you're so spot on with that. And it, and it does apply to other areas of gear we use in our churches with cameras and PA systems and all that stuff. But I think it's just off the chain important with wireless to make sure we understand the difference between price and value. Correct. And at some point, cheap wireless, I mean, I mean, what, at, what is a distraction in a church service worth? Like mm, a major distraction. Because a, a wireless going down on somebody leading a room, that's not a small distraction that three people on the fourth row notice. Right. Everybody in the room stops. Everyone's head turns back to the engineer. Like now now we're playing with serious stuff with people trying to 
worship right. and preach and all that stuff. And uh, <laughs> that's scary. But um, with, yeah, with wireless multi-channel, meaning, uh, excuse me, uh, frequency agile, meaning that the wireless device can actually change frequencies is not a premium feature anymore. It's commonplace. Correct. So you just described a fixed frequency wireless. Correct. That's it. I'll just say it. That's unacceptable to be putting in our churches these days. And there's nothing wrong with wiring in the earphones on a drummer and a keyboardist and a bass player. Nothing. I mean, unless the keyboardist got a keytar and he's running. Man, I've done that a million times. And it sounds better. It's cleaner. It's, it's, it sounds better. It's cleaner. And I know what's going to happen. It's going to work. <laughs> yeah, it's going to work. And it's going to work. $100, you can have a studio quality headphone amp with big stereo separation on your keys or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's a um, there's a guy. His name is Pat Brown. He and his wife run SynodCon which is now called Pro Sound Training. Very high-end sound training for many years. He's a smart guy. He said one time when we did an RF workshop, we went through all this really deep theory. We went as deep as you can go in RF. And at the end of that chapter, he said, you know, the entire purpose of the most expensive wireless microphone ever made is to do what a $25 cable already does. Mm. So, wire it when you don't have to go wireless. And that's coming from a guy who worked for a company that made its business selling wireless, but wireless is appropriate, but not, uh, not for everything, you know? It's so, it's so true is I would have to talk, talk churches off the ledge who want to do in ears mm-hmm. and, and know that, that you don't have enough money for a, uh, that's one thing. Don't have enough money to, because of stock issues now with manufacturers, we can't get them. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other issue, right? That's a huge problem. That's a whole other issue. So then yeah. what I would do is I would just get a Cat 5 box, right? Mm. And then say four musicians, oh, yeah. right? Do a Cat 5 box, run them to four auxes, run them out it's to their reliable. headphone amps. It's, it's reliable. It's going to work. Budget. And it's going to sound way better. It's going to be way more robust. Yeah. And you know what? It's going to be reliable. Yeah. That's just, I think there's a lot of, a lot of wrapped up, a lot is wrapped up in what you're saying there that goes way outside wireless, but it's, it's stewardship. It's uh purpose in the church. Like is technology supporting what we're doing? Or are we sometimes maybe abusing technology a little bit just to have wireless? Right. More more channels. You know, we used to call this at Sennheiser wireless creep, meaning the number of channels on a stage. Say say a church has eight wireless, and four years later they have thirty channels. It's crept up, right? Maybe they didn't need all thirty. Maybe they just really liked having wireless because it's it's cool. It's cool, right? Uh, but it's way harder to coordinate and maintain thirty channels. It is and buy thirty channels. It is. It is. So I we- think cheap wireless is worse than no wireless. I totally agree with you. So before we get out of here, let me ask you a question. If a pastor came to you and at, asked you for some advice about getting wireless systems for their church, like what would be your answer? Well, I want to know what are they trying to do? Do they need some wireless microphones? Do they need ears? Do they need wireless intercom? 
and really figure out how many channels they have to have because the better quality that, I mean, this is definitely true of all the major brands of wireless. There are good models in each, but you have to uh, really figure out what do I need it to do and what level do I need to purchase? So if someone tells me they need 16 channels and they want to buy, you know, a certain level of wireless microphone, I'm going to talk them down on the channel count. If the budget's not there to buy the pro level stuff. And I don't mean it has to be the Sennheiser 9,000 series mm -hmm. or short accent. Both right. of those are incredible, but they're many thousands of dollars a channel. Right. I'm not saying that I'm saying, you know, let, let's get specific. Sure. They make uh, the ULXD stuff. Yeah. ULX, QLX. Yeah. SLX. Sometimes when, SLX and BLX, and I, I can't even keep them straight these days. There's sometimes when those work fine. There's sometimes when we need to be up a little bit, like the ULXD makes a quad receiver. Yeah. Those things are just easy to tune. Easy. They, I have four they, of those things. They work. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, it, that's a hard one, but I would try to, to interview them a little bit and say, what are you trying to do? Do you need the entire band to be wireless or can we scale that down and really get you some quality wireless where you really need it? And then I would really focus on distribution. If you're going to have more than one wireless system, it's worth spending the money for a combiner or a splitter, depending on whether it's ears or mics and external antennas, because those little antennas that come in the box, the, uh, the theory of operation of those is, is, really old and really simple and there's a reason why they come in the box they're the least expensive option there are as soon as you go to an external antenna things get a lot better right 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 hey man i really appreciate your time i'm pretty sure all of our listeners got a got a got a a cup full of information there um in the show notes we're going to add some different manufacturers they have spectrum analyzers where you can just go and oh, yeah. select them so this way it makes it so you can kind of test it for yourself go click the link um put your area code in and then see what it says because it'll, it'll it'll give you the brand it'll give you the model it'll give you the frequency range it'll tell you um what's around the area it gives you all the information you need to make a solid a solid decision on your wireless system but before we get out of here we do these quick we do these quick hitters called 30 seconds and gone these are five quick true false yes no maybe so questions so here we go 30 seconds and gone are you ready sir i hope so we're <laughs> about to find out <laughs> question number one what is your favorite console midas pro series Pro live sound. Live sound. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, you prefer mixing a concert or a festival? Concert. Okay. Question number three, you prefer sitcoms or movies? Movies. Movies. Number four, since we're about to jump into the holiday season, how long does your tree stay up after Christmas? Fifteen days. Fifteen days. <laughs> That's, That's a tough one, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think. <laughs> I had to last, think back a little bit. 
Big Bad. Okay. <laughs> Last question. What is your go-to compressor? Uh, a Waves. It's mm, it's down to three. Probably Waves. Mm. Okay, name your three your three your three go tos then. So usually the CLA stuff plug in. Okay. Uh, the old DBX one sixty analog. Okay. Can't go wrong with that. And then this is kind of cheating because it's multi band and it's even considered a dynamic EQ. But the Waves F six or even C six. Great. Which I are plugins. Yeah. So I love that was a little bit of a cheat answer, but that's, but, hey, that's the truth. It works for the house. If if you if you have access to it, mm-hmm. you have it. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs of all ages, I want to thank my friend, the incomparable Ken Margraves. Hey, listen, I really appreciate your time, brother. Um, we're gonna Sir. say it like we always say it, keep God first in everything you do, and we will see you next time on the Church Sound Podcast.